And and it's funny because so many people get wrapped around Axel like like they're still stuck in the single income mindset where they go, well, I can't do, I'm not going to be able to re- um, replace everything. No, you get a bunch of side hustles going at one time. You know, not one is going to be the whole thing. That's, you know, we're, that's 1950s stuff, right? right. <laughs> you know, we're not, we don't live in that world anymore. And you look at that and people say, well, 10% won't replace my income. No, no, it won't. But start with one, get a side hustle that gives you 10%. What could you do with 10% more income that people look at it wrong? You know, they look at it like I'm building a new side hustle. Well, like I can't live off that. Well, no, you can't. But all of a sudden you now have 110% income and then build that into something else. Welcome to Thrive in the Future podcast, positive solutions to help you thrive, designing your intentional life, homesteading, gardening, and rediscovering culture and tradition. Our sponsor this week is Strong Roots Resources. If you're looking for land in Tennessee or Kentucky or you already have land there and you want to know how to use your land better, contact Kerry Brown because he can help you. He can do a property assessment and do an on-site property walk. He'll even tell you what kind of wild plants and trees and shrubs you have. So that's at strongrootsresources.com. At Grow Nut Trees, it's elderberry time. It's elderberry cuttings. I also have some plants left that are bare root. And also comfrey and comfrey crowns. That's at grownuttrees.com. Okay, welcome back to Thrive in the Future. This week, I have Toolman Tim with me, and we're going to talk about skills over stuff. How's it going, Tim? Hey, not bad at all. Not bad at all. It's a balmy minus 17 here today, <laughs> which is only just about 30 degrees warmer than it was Saturday evening. So we're we're doing good. Wow, 46 below. That's crazy. It was, it was well, it was the coldest since 1968 is what they said. And really? yeah, we ended up having a, a grid warning, which was, we were within a hundred megawatts of losing power and doing rolling blackouts. So it was, yeah, it was a little hairy touch and go. We were, we were sitting in the living room that evening, my wife and I, and we were chatting and we were like, all right, well, let's make a plan just in case. I mean, we have a generator, we're all set. And just as sure. we're sitting there, what happens? The friggin' power blinks. And we're like, oh, just, you know, your, your stomach catches for a minute. You're like, all right, time to go. Nope. We were good. It didn't, nothing happened. So I don't know if that's when they brought on extra power from Saskatchewan or BC or what happened, but yeah, she was a little hairy for a little while. Yeah. And you do property management and stuff. So these, do the tenants at those places start freaking out? Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> I had, uh, which, you know, the mobile homes are the worst as you can imagine. And there's, oh, gosh. I, yeah, in this town, we have three or four trailer parks on top, and we we own one mobile home ourselves, and I look after, so I've got almost two dozen rentals I look after all together, and I'd sure. say maybe six of them are mobile homes, and we, we had one that five years ago we got under and completely insulated it, did the best we could, spray foam, the, there's a pipe that goes straight, you know, everything, and it still yep. managed to freeze this year, uh-huh. and I told the lady, so I was. I went over there. She called me in the morning. She said, yep, I'm frozen. I say, okay, I'll come fix it. I fixed it. No problem. Had to run hot water down. Took about an hour. We got it working. Yep. Everything was fine. I said, leave it running till Tuesday. This was Friday night. I said, you leave all your taps running until Tuesday. That's when it's going to warm up. Yep. No problem. So later on that night, just as I'm putting my feet up, Becky and I are ready to watch TV. She calls me. She says, I can hear water spraying everywhere. I was like, oh. Uh-oh. So I guess what had happened was there was an old 
cut off T somewhere in there that had been sheared off and they put a cap on. It was low lying and it must have split when it froze. Uh-huh. And so once everything thawed and started running, slowly through the day, <laughs> that thawed out. And just as everybody was ready, so it was, it was probably minus 42, wind was blowing, pitch dark out. I'm there. I got the town there. I got the local plumber guy there. We're tearing everything apart, trying not to freeze our butts off. So that was fine. I said, leave your water running. I get a call 36 hours later. Her kids turned the water off during the night. Everything froze again. I had another ruptured pipe. (sighs) So, (laughs) but you live, you learn, you make good contacts. That's for me is the big thing is, you know, stay in the good graces of all those guys that, you know, the, the town guy that comes to shut your water off the, you know, rods, my local plumbing and heating guys, like, you know, treat them like gold because they're the one that's going to, you're going to need them when they're in between their 16th furnace job, when it's minus 40 and they say, well, I'll come if you'll help me. And, and sure enough, they did. Yeah. That's where he, that's where you've got some serious, uh, um, social capital that you built up with those folks, right? hundred <laughs> percent. And I'm, when I get home, I'm actually going to go to the local Packers and pick up a dozen donuts and drop them off again, because those boys, man, they work. Oh, don't they work? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I lived in a mobile home as my first home up in Iowa and uh, it got down to 22 below <sighs> the pipes froze. So then I thought, okay, well, I'll just pour some boiling water on it. And uh, it just froze the boiling water. Sure. <laughs> It's, oh, when it gets that bad, I'm telling you it, you know, this last year, the mobile home we bought last year, I actually, everything was kind of exposed under the floor. So I brought everything up into the bathroom because that's where 95% of your water pipes are. So what Uh I did was I built a new six inch false floor. I put Uh all the pipe in there, insulated the whole thing. We've had no problems this year. It's the best move I ever did. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I always had trouble where it came out of the ground and then went into the mobile home it, and it always froze on christmas or thanksgiving or new year's oh yeah the when it's going to be the most expensive to call a guy in for 100 percent every time yeah yeah and then the mobile home park guy would come out and <laughs> uh it is uh propane you know whatever it is that blast furnace jet thing looks like a jet engine oh, yeah. you know and he wanted one of them <laughs> i don't even think that would work in canada right no 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 they, i've heard people the little blow torches they're like man we're going to try using those for mountains no it doesn't work i mean it's yeah we actually <laughs> hit i seen a, a meme the other day so i believe it's 42 minus 42 degrees celsius is when propane goes from gas to a liquid when it will stop really? combusting and so there was there was a, a few hours where that wasn't working and a lot of the natural gas regulators you had to go out and pour hot water on them just to warm them up enough to flow so it was getting uh, it was getting shady, I'm telling you. So when you said it got down to minus 47, was that Celsius or or Fahrenheit? They, they're basic, so they meet at minus 40. So um <laughs> and then they then they diverge again. So really, I didn't know that. that. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know how that happened. I'm sure it wasn't on purpose, but when they hit minus 40, they're both the same. And then then they spread out a little bit. So minus 47, you could say is either one. Wow. Yeah. That's it, crazy. It's fun. It makes for good stories. You know, it sucks. Trust me, Becky knows. It sucks when I'm looking at her and I'm just like, why do I do this? And I got to head back out in the cold. But, you know, you take those three seconds, you kind of <laughs> you commiserate with yourself and then you just go out and get it done. Yeah. So who takes care of that stuff when you're out of town and stuff? 
Um, so it depends. I, number one, I keep, like I said, I keep a good Rolodex. I, I laugh at that term, like, like we really have a Rolodex anymore, but you know, you keep yeah, a good yeah. Rolodex of contacts. So, you know, I've got to the point where 90% of what I do for property management is troubleshooting and then calling in an expert because it, it's quicker, it's easier, especially when it's cold. Say a furnace dies. Well, I could spend six hours on it. The tenant's still cold or just call in the, you know, the guy. So I have good contacts with all them. And then I, I've got a, um, a couple different young guys that will take care of everything for me while I'm gone. They're really good. They'll call me and we, we chat about it, but they, yeah. And my wife, you know, when she's not busy launching her businesses, um, she's there to kind of help too. Yeah. Doesn't your son help you out on that stuff too? He does. And more so now than before he, he, he has his own job and he keeps pretty busy with that, but we're going to, uh, we're going to move some of that responsibility. He, if he's interested over to him and let him do some of it. Oh, cool. That's good. Well, great. Yeah. I was wanting to talk to you about uh, skills over stuff. So everybody goes and they buy, you know, two is one, one is none, and they'll buy the, they'll buy the generator and then they don't test it. And then, <laughs> you know, and then the power's out and they're out there trying to figure out how it works. So I had a, I had a generator and I bought it. And then if you, in the small print, it says you got to run it for 10 hours and then do a oil change mm. to break it in before you put a load on it. And then I turned it on and it didn't even start. It started shooting gas out of the, out of the carburetor. And I was like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> and if I never would have tested it, then that would have been while it was going and I had to get an RMA from it and it took three months to get the RMA to send it back. Oh. It, it was, it was all kinds of fun. So, you know, it, it's important to, to test it and then get out there and, and learn how to use it. Right. I had, um, I had a, a lady who newly divorced lady a while back messaged me and she said, Hey, my husband left, he left a brand new generator in the box. She's like, um, is that the best place for it? <laughs> and I said, well, <laughs> Not really. I said, do you ever hear the story of Schrodinger's cat? You know, uh, you don't really know if there's a cat in the box or not. I said, and we're going to call this Schrodinger's generator. We don't know if we have a working generator or not until you open it out and you start it. Now, if you have two, I have no problem with leaving the second one completely new in the box. But you've got to know. I mean, how else? Again, skills, right? How else do you right. know? You can have, again, you could have five generators sitting out in your garage and mm -hmm. great. I'm all set. And the power goes out and you're like, well... I never thought about this, but you know, for instance, my natural gas heater doesn't have a plug in the wall. It's hardwired. So how right. do I feed power to my generator? Well, you know when the best time to figure that is? You know, a sunny July Sunday afternoon with a beer in your hand and you're like, okay, this is what we're going to do, guys. I'm turning the power off. You guys go to the pool. I can do this with nobody looking. <laughs> this way I can figure it all out. And guess what? I'm going to make mistakes. I'm probably going to cuss under my breath a few times. But the cool thing is when it's minus 46 and I got to pull that thing out in 40 mile an hour winds, all of a sudden I've got all the skills or at least a base level of skills. You know, they always say you don't rise to the occasion. You fall to your level of training and a hundred percent. That is where it's at. You've got to, you got to go through the motions with all this stuff so that you know it, and then you can put it into practice when it happens. Yeah, definitely. I got my generator that I know how to work and I got it out and I was like, okay, which I've got a big generator and a small generator. So I'm looking at the big generator going, um, so how do I do this again? <laughs> Which gas does this take? You know, luckily it was a sunny day. Well, recently my son messaged me and he goes, Hey dad, 
my, uh, I don't think my water's working. He said, I haven't had pressure all day. <laughs> and he waited to message me 10 minutes before the hardware store closed. And Uh-oh. it had been doing it since eight that morning. And I'm like, oh no. So I went down quick and I just took a mental, I'm like, okay, this, I got 10 minutes. I got to go to the store and pick up all the parts I think I could need. Now I keep quite a bit. I try to stock a hardware store in my garage, but you know what happens? I, and I'm as bad as anybody. I'll use a bunch of parts and then I won't think to replace them. Right. So I go over and I think, okay, let's get everything I need. Well, no matter what happens, you come back, you're ready to put it together. If you only got one kick at the can, you're never getting every piece you need. So I get about three quarters of the way through and I realize I don't have enough stuff. So I go (laughs) home and I start digging through my boxes, find all the parts I have. Now, if I didn't know how to put all that stuff together, but I had whole boxes of all this stuff, I'm probably not going to be able to fix it. But eventually, Uh you know, I kind of, all right, this part goes here, this part goes there. And I was able to scab it all together to get his water back on that night. So if you haven't, and again, if you haven't practiced and done all those things ahead of time, Man, you're hooped. Sure. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> what I, other? Uh, oh yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. What other? Uh, what other stuff have you seen with that? Yeah. So, I, funny again. So the other day, I went and uh, it was a Sunday, I believe it was, when I needed to uh, fix that second break in the in the water lines, uh-huh. and I could find. I found where the the split was, and it was kind of up in a high spot. And I thought, oh, I really don't want to cut that out and fix it. That's in a rough spot. So I talked to Rod, the guy who runs the the um, heating and plumbing place. I said, do you have any quick fixes? He goes, you want to know how many pieces of pipe in this town are being held together with four hose clamps and a piece of rubber? He said, it doesn't always work, but if it does, we just leave it. And so it reminded me because <laughs> I tried it and it didn't work on this one because it was right in an elbow. But Many years ago, when we were living in the house before this one, on a Sunday, we had a pretty nasty pinhole leak up in the, uh, right coming out of the hot water tank just above. It was above an elbow. So I went out, I cut up an old bike tire tube, a couple of hose clamps, and you know what? It patched that to 95% until Monday morning when the hardware store opened. So I didn't have to call a plumber and spend $300 to do it. Now, wow, again, with a bike tire. With it, yep. So I took the, you know, the inner tube. You know, uh-huh. and so I just, uh, what I did was I, uh, I took it, I cut it lengthways, folded it over. I think I was able to double it up twice and then just put uh, hose clamps and it didn't stop it completely, but it stopped it to the point where if you just put a little pail under a drip, you could live with it. Wow. That's and again, amazing. You know, here, here's what I, when, when I teach the preparedness course at uh, prepper camp in different places, that's one of my tenants of preparedness is skills are better than supplies. And when here's the thing, if you have all the supplies in the world, but you've never played with any of them, you're going to look at them and you're gonna be like, oh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> but <laughs> when you've played with all the good stuff, you know how all the good stuff works. Your brain's like, it can look around and everything's a supply at that point, you know, whether yeah. see, you can, if, if you played, played with all the toys and you've, you've done the fixes, you know how the real stuff works then all of a sudden you're way more likely to be able to improvise. And that's where something like a bike tire works, you know, or like my dad growing up, they never had money for hinges for um, fence or for fences. So they would cut up old tractor tires or old tires. They'd make like an eight inch square of rubber and they'd nail Uh it to the fence and nail it to the gate. And it worked. You just, you know, the old timers, again, they would never, they would never go to town 
just to go to the hardware store. They, they'd make do or they'd go without. And if that means pulling nails, if that means, you know, <laughs> cutting down wood to, you know, tearing up an old project to make a new project, so be it. Yeah. I think I've seen that with the, uh, with pieces of rubber used as hinges before. It, on old it's farms ingenious. Yeah. yeah. The stuff that old timer farmers would come up with. I mean, you, you have to be, <laughs> you know, they, they, they were cheap for a reason, but a lot of them just didn't have the money. So they just had to do it. Yeah. Or you only went to town once a month, mm-hmm. you know? So, and that's just the way it was. Excellent. So you were uh, you were down at Nicole Sauce's uh, um, fall workshop. Yeah, so I went. I, I did quite a. I had quite the road trip this year. I think it was. I can't quite remember. If I tell you thirty eight days, it was thirty seven. But anyway, it was just shy of forty day road trip this year. And I went. Uh, we yeah, we had uh, quite a few. So I, I we had a, a workshop. Two chicks homestead get together in Illinois. Then I spoke at Prepper Camp in September. Wow. Then I then I drove from there back to Tennessee for a bit. Then I went up to your neck of the woods to Kansas for the Midwest preparedness. And then I come back. So you were, yeah, that oh. was just right down the road for me. It's like five miles down the road down there at Perry Lake. Really? Did, yeah. Oh, it's a great event. If you're up for it, man, you should check it out sometime because I had a heck of a time there. Man, We what great people. Nicole flew in uh-huh. for it. There was me, Nicole, Chuck Peoples, and a few others. It was It was a good time. In the fall, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, we went in the spring, spring. one in the fall. Yeah, we went in the spring, but we missed the fall one. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Oh man, that that's <laughs> just right I, there. I'm not gonna I can't say for sure, but you know, if, if life, you know, life keeps going the way it's supposed to, uh, then you know, there's a really, really good chance I'll be back there for the fall event again this year. Oh, for the fall. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And uh yeah, and then from there, I went back down and uh, spoke and emceed at the uh, Self-Reliance Festival in Camden, which was cool. And in the meantime, we've bought, my wife and I last, I guess just over a year ago, we bought um, 15 acres of uh, kind of raw land down in Tennessee. And Really? We, yeah, we named it uh, Delinquent's Gully. So for anybody who is uh, a member of the workshop, so that's my community. If uh-huh. you remember, we call you a delinquent, you know, somebody that just kind of likes to live a little bit outside the rules and outside the system, right? Sure. And so we were down there hanging out one day and uh, it was just me, Brian from Lots Project and Carrie from Strong Roots Resources. And he said, uh-huh. what a cool little gully you have right there. And just right then it stuck. We're like, okay, delinquents gully. That's what it is. So, <laughs> so we had a, we had a work day uh, in early October. We had 18 people show up uh, from the workshop and we, we built a cabin. <laughs> we built an eight by eight cabin with a deck that day. We built a bridge across the creek. We cut a ton of walking paths and cut a bunch of firewood. It was just, oh yeah, we've, it's going to be, we're going to have a bunch of little outposts. I, I don't like, I don't like the word compound, but that's kind of what it's going to turn into. You know, it's a place where it's a vacation property for us. And then we're going to have kind of little eight by eight cabins for family members. If they want to stay, we're going to Airbnb wow. them, hip camp them, make a little money out of it. That's cool. Yeah, so how often do you think you'll get down there? Well, twice a year is kind of the plan, you know, if, sure. you know, so I'm, uh, the next trip is, I think I'm going to leave about March 20th and I'm heading down, going to drive down, stay down till around the 10th of May. And I've got, uh, I got four, four events lined up to speak at and to go, uh, you know, hang out and meet community and that sort of thing. So it'll be, I, I try to do 
all of the above. I try to go down, work on the property. I can't really call it vacation, but it is a vacation, you know, sure it is. And then, uh, and then speak at different events. That's cool. Yeah. Carrie is uh Carrie with strong roots resources is a great guy. He's been on the podcast and uh, we share seeds and trees and, and uh, chestnuts and stuff. So. Oh, he's, he is just an awesome dude. He spearheaded that day. I mean, we've been friends for a few years. I, I think we met first in real life at Nicole's spring workshop two or three years ago. Uh-huh. And uh, he spearheaded the bridge project at our work day. He's been down and done some uh, kind of like wild edibles walks and, or not really walks, but uh, assessments of our property, that sort of thing. And uh-huh. yeah, we, we chat a lot. He, he, he ran a handyman business kind of slash landscaping that he, I'm so proud of that dude, man. He just took the big step to walk away from just the handyman landscaping stuff. And he's going full time into his permaculture, wild edible stuff. It, the dude is just killing it. I love seeing fellers succeed, man. I'm telling you. Yeah. Yeah. I went and, uh, just did like uh, Akiva silver up at twisted tree farms. I, I went down, my friend planted a bunch of, uh, chestnut trees down at the elementary school. Cause he's thinking, Oh, well, we're going to have, I'm going to teach the kids chestnuts roasting by the open fire and the, the trees mature. He starts harvesting them. And then the principal says, Nope, no way. Too much of a liability problem. Really? So a couple more years go by and nobody's harvesting them. I just go down there and get buckets of them. I put them in sand, sprout them out, and then and then sell them. And they, you know, so my my gig is that they're trees adapted to the Midwest because it's impossible to get chestnut trees from the Northeast or the Northwest to work in Kansas. So, and you know, it's a pretty good little side gig this year. I like that. Yeah. My buddy Brian from the Lots Project, he started a little... Uh, uh, it's a comfrey patch. You just, oh yeah, you couldn't couldn't do a lot for watering it because we don't we don't have any real water set up there yet. But he hauled sure. some in a few times, and a couple a couple of them took. And so he's going to start shipping some out, and he's looking at doing biochar on our property. And it's really? nice when you have people who are down there. You know, I'd love to do a lot of that stuff, but for me, it's uh, when I go down, it's infrastructure. You know, building uh-huh. when, uh-huh. when I go down this uh, this spring, it's going to be expanding the the main cabin building an out um we already have one outhouse but it's down at the main area where you know because when we have events so build an outhouse right. and a shower room and that kind of stuff this time wow that'll be great that sounds great <laughs> cool it's fun we love it i you know we have worked we've worked our tails off for a lot of years to build the life we want to live and i i, I tell everybody you know we i know we've gone on a bit of a tangent here but entrepreneurship really. <laughs> is 100% the key to self-reliance and independence, you know, uh, finding the life you want to live, man, I'm telling you right through the whole craziness that we went through a few years back, entrepreneurship basically let us, you know, short of being able to cross the border, do whatever we wanted to do. We got to Mm -hmm. pick the customers we wanted to work. We got to choose where we wanted to work. And we took every stitch of that money we had at that time and invested it in a daycare. And that, that is paying huge dividends now. Like we are. Yeah. So I'm telling anybody out there who's thinking about it, 100%, even if it's a side hustle, because why not have even 10% of your income? Because, hey, you've already built all the little steps. And say you go in tomorrow and your boss was ticked off at his wife on the weekend, he decided to lay off 20% of the staff. Well, it's a lot easier to ramp up a 10% existing side hustle than it is to start from scratch when all of a sudden 
your boss passes away, the business shuts down, whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what that's what my goal is because you know, I mean, today found out that uh, uh, having a one hundred percent remote job. Oh, now you're gonna need to start coming into uh, Kansas City, which is over over an hour away. So how yeah. often? Um, it's kind of vague right now, but behind closed doors, they say it's three times a week. So that that ain't gonna work. I've done that before. <laughs> That seems to be the way that they're unofficially laying people off lately. I, I do yep. believe. And that is a real, there's a lot of that because I think companies are, they're feeling the pinch right at the moment and they realize, cause you know what happens. I mean, when the economy's heading in a, a bit of a nosedive for a bit, it tends to be, we're going to lay people off, but they're trying to get a little more uh, coy about it this time around for some reason. Yeah. They're keeping scores. So it's like, okay, you didn't come in here on together Tuesday. So <laughs> you know um you know you're not a team player goodbye or something right. so you so know they're they're clearly setting the stage for that kind of stuff oh 100 so, yeah I, apparently yeah. amazon's been doing it too lately i was just reading an article the other day where they're just kind of cutting your hours back or they're giving yep. you completely unrealistic amount of work to get done in the day so that you'll quit instead of being laid off it looks better on the stock reports at the end of the quarter mm-hmm yeah. Yeah. I have a new guy that it just started that came from Amazon and he was, he was saying the same thing that after, after COVID they said, yeah, it's optional for you to come in here, but they were keeping score. And then they laid off the people who didn't come in. Sure. So, yeah. So that's, yeah. Uh, so entrepreneurship is the way to go in that situation. And, and it's funny because so many people get wrapped around the axle, like, like they're still stuck in the single income mindset where they go, well, I can't do, I'm not going to be able to re- um, replace everything. No, you get a bunch of side hustles going at one time, you know, not one is going to be the whole thing. That's, you know, we're, that's 1950s stuff, right? right. <laughs> you know, we're not, we don't live in that world anymore. And you look at that and people say, well, 10% won't replace my income. No, no, it won't. But start with one. Get a side hustle that gives you 10%. What could you do with 10% more income? That People look at it wrong. You know, They look at it like, I'm building a new side hustle. Well, like, I can't live off that. Well, no, you can't. But all of a sudden, you now have 110% income. And then build that into something else. You know, I, I tell people a ton. I, we call it the spaghetti method. You know, and, and I'm a big fan of service-based businesses. So when it comes down to it, offering something to somebody. Because that you don't have to stock anything. You don't have to make anything. You just show up and exchange your labor for cash, you know, the free market at its best. And if you start that and you just take a whole bunch of skills or a whole bunch of things you can offer to people, throw them at the wall and see which one is your biggest and do more of that. And the ones that nobody wants, stop doing them. And soon enough, you're going to find <laughs> out each time you take that right path, you're going to be making a little more money, a little more money. And Hey, maybe you don't want to do that full time, but then you can go out and start another little service business and try that, you know, like car detailing, for instance, you don't need a ton of overhead to be able to clean vehicles. You know, if you have a shop vac, you know, some mothers and a few other things, you're set. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and and a lot of it's just hustle. And that's what it comes down to, uh, 100%. And putting together a new presentation here for the spring and that sort of thing. And, and that's a big part of the concept is, you know, 
failure is not an option, you know, the old marching terms. And the, but, but what I mean by that is, I don't mean you're not going to fail. I mean, accepting it isn't an option. So you, you have to decide, okay, I am moving forward every single time and I'm going to hit a wall and I'm going to, I'm going to try offering for me, it was car detailing services that we tried that didn't work for us. You know, it just didn't. But each time I tried something that wasn't a step backward, it was a step forward that helped me realize "Ah, that's not the right one. So I'm going to go the next direction. And, and that's what it is, is hundred percent persistence. And when you, and that's not easy. I mean, there was tons of times I wanted to give up, but having good support helps a lot as well, but it's persistence on and on and on that you just, you have to decide this is going to work come hell or high water and I'm going to make it work. And each time that I discover something that doesn't work, that just means I've eliminated one more option. They don't have to try. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then also it's, it's being cognizant of the season, right? So I plant stuff in February and March, but the normies don't, the normies plant in May. Right. So, you know, I'm like, how come people aren't buying my stuff? And it's, you know, cause the normies aren't going to buy it till May. So, yeah, I was surprised. I sold a lot of elderberry in the fall, and and I didn't expect that to that to happen. So it was uh, it was a nice surprise. I I like when you talk about seasonal things. There's a lot of things. I, one of the big examples I love to use is uh, lawn aeration. So in my town, it was a big deal, and you you might have heard me tell this before. Oh, yeah, people would you know uh, so. Okay, let me back up a little. I'm a little, you know, little town boy from Nova Scotia who had never seen any, you know, if people mowed their lawn, they were doing good. That was about all we did, right? So yeah. I come out here and they're like, oh yeah, we, we we fertilize, we spray for weeds, we aerate. And I'm like, what the heck is aerating? So somebody called me one day and they're like, can you, uh, you know, when I was running my handyman business, can you aerate my lawn? And before I even knew what I was saying, I'm like, sure. And I didn't even know what the heck it was, you know? So I call the rental place and I'm like, do you rent an aerator? Yeah. Yeah, we do. So I I rented it the day before. And that night I remember going out uh, beside the fence and I'd never even used a machine before. So I had to teach myself, okay, what's the depth gauge? How fast do I go? Do I run behind it? I I probably look like an idiot, but I learned. And you know what? By the next year, I realized I could rent that for less than a hundred bucks for a day. I could typically do about 10 lawns a day and I charged a hundred bucks a pop to do them. So when I was running the handyman business, there's just one side hustle, thousand bucks we could make from aerating with a roughly hundred dollar rental for an aerator in one day. So if you could figure out 12 services that you could do just like that each year or each month, you know, one, one a month, there's 12 grand, you know, and it's a good start. I'm not saying you can do that, but each one of those was something simple. Yeah. Yeah. My friend, Eric, he's been on here a couple of times and he did that set. He set up a high end lawn service just like that because he was he was making his lawn look like a golf course. And somebody said, how'd you do that? So then he (laughs) started doing it for others and it became a gig. And uh, he's got like super high end clients now that'll that'll do it. And yeah, he's got it like down to golf course size. I. To be so, here's it, it, when people. A lot of times, you shoot for the wrong clientele when you start. When a person starts right. a business, most people assume that everybody else is on their same budget, right? Mm-hmm. So, if, if you're eating beans and wieners, you're going to assume that your customers are eating beans and wieners. 
And so when I first started, I went after senior citizens. Nothing wrong with senior citizens, but the biggest thing about seniors is they're on a fixed income, which means they can't afford to pay much. No matter how much you try to charge them, they just can't afford, so they won't. But I quickly realized that the dudes that I wanted to work for were the guys that owned a, uh, you know, a cottage on the lake that all they wanted to do on the weekend was be away and drink beer, ride the motorboat, listen to their music. They're willing to pay me whatever I charge them to clean their windows, to trim their hedges, to clean out their gutters, to mow their lawns. They didn't care. And that when you find those type of clientele, you're way, way better off. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 the same as like the ones where I thought, oh, I plant in February, so why doesn't everybody else, right? <laughs> and another thing about when when you're talking about like a guy, you know, he's doing those high-end lawns for folks. Sure. There's another thing that most people aren't going to realize. The more somebody pays for something, the less likely they are to complain about it. The less somebody pays for something, the more likely they are to complain about it. Wow. So if I, it's just, I don't know why that is, but it's a rule of thumb I learned in business. And oh man, yeah. So if you if you got somebody that you're, you know, you're doing just a little cut for $50 and you're like, yeah, I'll give you a bit of a deal because you know, they're, you know, whatever. And you finish mowing, you finish weed whipping. And, you know, you think you did a darn good job and they're still going to come back and dicker with you and say, oh, you know, I think that's only worth $40 worth. Right. Uh But that's the same. You could do the same job for somebody else, you know, who's all they want to do is hang out at the beach or whatever and charge them $200 and they'll give you a $50 tip because they're just happy that it gets done, you know, and it's, Uh it's strange how that is. Yeah, that's funny. (laughs) So what other kind of advice do you have for folks starting out? (laughs) <laughs> for guys. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a few, but, uh, number one, I, it's okay to be a little uncomfortable with your price because almost I, people are always like, well, I'm going to be worried. I'm going to charge too much. I'm going to promise you right now that almost everybody who's ever started a business has always thought that they were charging too much, but they weren't probably 98% of the people aren't charging enough. And I, I use this example for a ton of people. And I always tell them like, here's the deal. Okay. And we we do this. We have a Telegram group uh, for the workshop where we got about 250 members in there. Uh-huh. And it's really good guys who are starting their, their handyman business or whatever it is. They'll come in and they'll be like, hey, I want to charge $4 an hour, <laughs> you know, for instance. And everybody will just bust them up like, uh, yeah, no, you're worth way more than that. You need to stop. Like, <laughs> So sure. I always try to use this example for folks. So if you're just pick any imaginary job you're bidding for somebody and you bid it for $100 and you bid two jobs and you get both of those jobs, you're going to make $200, right? So Mm -hmm. turn around, go back and rebid both those jobs. You rebid both those jobs at $200 and you only get one job. You just made $200 and worked half as hard. Right. So people always think that I need to, you know, they, when they start out, and, and I get it, you're hungry, you're nervous, you want to build your client, your customer base as best you can when you start. But man, I'm telling you, it's easier to lower your price than it is to raise it. And if you bring on a whole bunch of customers who are used to paying, you know, uh, tuna fish budget prices, you you got yourself in a corner. You're better off to be a little uncomfortable when you're given that price and stick to your guns. And if they say no, all right, thank you. Uh, you know, consider me in the future for other things. And that's a hard thing to do, but you will be way better off from the start if you do that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've also heard another thing is is uh, you know you got to get over the fact that they're not your friend. Yes, because you're talking to the folks, you're starting to bond with them a little bit, and then it's like you know, yeah, just you know, this guy's not my friend, so I'm not going to cut them a deal, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to the I'm gonna stick to the plan. Deals never work. You'll get people who will always say, "Hey, if you give me a deal." I'm going to tell you to, I'm going to share you to a hundred of my, you know, family members. You're going to get all kinds of business. I promise you right now that business is never going to show up. You turn around and say to them, I'll tell you what, this is great. I appreciate that. If you bring me business going forward, I'll give you 10% off each job I do for you going forward for each job you bring to me, but don't ever give somebody a deal upfront based on the promise of work down the road. Cause that never materializes. Yeah, that's like the that's like the gig where you're going to play music and uh, oh yeah, well you know you'll get your name out and stuff. And <laughs> yeah, you, you get all the beer you can drink and you get exposure. Everybody wants to pay in exposure, but the problem is exposure don't pay my natural gas bill. Right. Yeah, and it doesn't pay for the fact that I sat there for five hours to play and haul in and haul out. Granted, I got some free drinks, but you know. <laughs> You know, another you thing box or something. So I was like, yeah, I tell people a lot to, to remember your time is worth a lot. You know, you figure out if you're working for the man 40 hours a week and you're, you're, you know, commuting back and forth and that's in maybe another 15 or 20 hours a week. And sure. you've got other things you need to do. How much free time do you actually have? And when it comes down to it, not a lot. So you need to make, you know, make a lot of money because here, here's the thing. Once you get going, there's a really good chance that you're going to be able to work half as hard or at least half the amount of time and make the money you're making working for the man, you know? And uh-huh. uh, another one that I, this is, I like this um, kind of mindset too. So remember when you're pricing something for somebody, it's not how long it's going to take you. They're going to think their value is how long it would have taken them to do it. Wow. So, when you, one of mine that I learned early on was cleaning windows. And I, I, you know, I always enjoyed cleaning windows. Now, if I went to a customer and I said, I'm going to charge you a hundred dollars an hour to clean your windows, they would laugh me out of the city. They would get out of here. I'm not dealing with you because number one, in their mind, they're thinking, if I do those windows, it's going to take me an entire weekend. That's 16, you know, that's $1,600. Now, Turn around and I tell them, I'm going to charge you $5 a window to do your windows. They're going to jump all over that because in their mind, they know how long it takes them to do each window. And at $5 a window, well, that's a steal. Well, here's the thing. I can do 20 windows in an hour. That's $100 an hour. And I'm going to make $100 an hour cleaning your windows. And you're going to smile and say, thank you when I'm done. Because it's all about how you present it to the customer and you need them to know Hey, uh, because in a customer's mind, the value comes from how long it would have taken them to do it, not how long it takes you to do it. And also price by the job, never by the hour. Because if you price by the hour, customers are going to be, oh, look, he's on his phone. I'm, I'm, and then they're going to complain and carry on about it. And there's always going to be debate when you give them the bill. They're like, but you weren't here for six hours. So before you even start, you agree on a flat rate for the price and if you come in, you know, if you come in low in your own mind in hours, you made money. But if it takes you longer, 
guess what? You just invested in your education. And next time you're going to be better about pricing it because it took you too long. You're going to remember that. It's going to sting because there's nothing that sucks worse than working on a job that you underbid and you know you underbid. Yeah. Excellent. So you've mentioned a couple things that you could do to build skills while you're you're doing your side gig and uh and like you like you said with your aeration and things like that what are other some other ways that you can build your skills while you're uh building up your side gig Sure I I mean so aerating was one window cleaning was another uh, uh-huh. another one that was great and actually this is you know over the years was small maintenance sorry small engine repairs and small engine maintenance because here's the sure. thing you get stuck. I remember oh, three, four years ago, I had my zero turn mower. I was way out in a farmer's field and I ran over, over a piece of fence wire and it drove it right through the sidewall of my tire. And I had almost, I, so I was able to swap it out. And I needed to inflate after I patched it and I, I couldn't get it to reseat on the rim. And so I, I called yeah. my brother-in-law. He's a, you know, uh, he's a racer and a mechanic. He says, do you have any ratchet straps? I'm like, yeah, I do. He said, wrap it around the tire in the center, tighten it down so that it pushes the inside of the tire in, the outside out, and then it'll start accepting air. So again, I wouldn't have learned that if I hadn't have popped the tire in the middle of a farmer's field, been desperate, needed to figure it out. But the next time something like that happened, I had the skill to do it. You know, I I couldn't get somebody to sharpen my lawnmower blades many years ago probably because I was too poor to be able to afford it anyway. So guess what? I had to learn how to do it. I had to learn how to balance mower blades. I had to learn how to change belts. I had to learn how to service a generator because, you know, even back before we started the business, we didn't have, you know, a a metaphorical pot to go to the bathroom in. And so I had to learn all that. I had to learn how to rebuild a carburetor. If something didn't work, well, guess what? If I didn't fix it, It wasn't going to work. One time many years ago, the pressure switch on our pump went, and I didn't even know what a pressure switch was at the time. (laughs) I called a plumber buddy of mine, and he's like, well, he said, I'm going to tell you, this is going to sound crazy, but you go grab yourself a screwdriver, and you stick it right down in those electrical points. He says it's going to spark and carry on, but it's probably that there's buildup or rust or something, and those points are sticking. Well, you know, I did that, and the thing ran for like two more years afterwards. I'll never forget it, right? Those are always the best experiences is when you learn because you have to. And then guess what? The next time I'm way quicker at troubleshooting and I'm able to fix it. Yeah. And I think another thing is people need to be honest with themselves on what their their inventory is. You know, what are your inventory of skills now? And people go, you know, they get the imposter syndrome going on. Oh, well, I don't know. And then, and then uh, you know, but hey, you already know this, you do this already I, I would say when it comes to that there's two things don't ever try to don't try to do like 10 steps ahead don't try to jump 10 steps up the stairs so uh-huh. always always be looking at what's the next step that I can improve on you know I, when when I was residing a house it was because uh, I'd never done it and I, I'm like Becky said yeah go for it do it I hadn't done it but I'm gonna learn well if I looked at that as an entire project, it seemed absolutely overwhelming because I had never, I'd never put starter strip. I never put corners. I never did J trim. I never did soffit, any of that. Well, guess what? If I just start with learning how to put up the starter strip, it doesn't seem overwhelming. So I learned how to do that. And then I learned how to do corners and that's how I went. And so 
two things. Don't ever try to take on too big of a project you haven't done and try to do, I call it baby steps, you know, um, one baby step at a time. And all of a sudden you go from here all the way up here and you realize, wow, I have really, really made it. But if you try to do all that at once, all that happens is you try to renovate an entire bathroom for somebody, you cut into the vent stack and the entire pipe comes sliding down. And when he turns his water back on, nothing will drain in his house. And guess what? That happened to me. So don't take on too much too early on. Always, you want to stretch, you want to grow, but not to the extent where you're completely falling on your face. Yeah, definitely. That's great. So Tim, how can folks contact you and uh, and access some of your content? Absolutely. Probably the easiest way, just type in Toolman Tim on YouTube. You'll find me now. It's Toolman <laughs> yeah. Tim's workshop, but You're it's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, originally, when I very first started, you type in Toolman Tim and Tim the Toolman Taylor, for anybody who's 40 or older who remembers him, he would come up. And now Toolman sure. Tim's workshop comes up just about everywhere, You know, especially if you're looking for generators. But if you find any of my videos on YouTube, in the description is all the links. So we've got Facebook, we've got Instagram, we have a Telegram, I have a Patreon. And the probably the neatest thing that I run right now is the Patch of the Month Club, which I, I'm i pretty pretty proud of that. We came up with that about a year and a half ago. People sign up, it's 10 bucks a month at patchofthemonth.co. And you get a, a politically incorrect patch every month, you know, say something like really? guns don't kill people, the government does, you know, or uh, tax is a four letter word or um, been prepping since Y2K, those kind of things. And so I send them out and it was a way I wanted, I, I'm a big fan of value for value exchange. And so I didn't uh-huh. want people to just give me money for the sake of giving me money. I wanted them to get something tangible every single month. And it originally started with, I was shipping from Canada and it needed to fit in an envelope. Patches were great, you know, and it's become a big thing. People love it. Nobody wants to spoil it for each other. So whenever they get them, everybody will send a picture. Like I got my patch with their hand over it. So nobody knows, you know? And so, yeah, it's fun. It's been, we've run it for just about 18 months now and it's uh, just getting bigger every month. So is it like a merit badge? Yeah. So um, it's like these. So they're they're Velcro on them. And so the whole story came from Brian, my buddy from Lots Project, him and his wife, Corey, live in an RV. We used to host a podcast together. And I asked him one time, I said, how do you have so many hats? You live in an RV. And he says, dude, and he pulls the patch off his hat. He says, I don't have a lot of hats. I just have a lot of patches. I was like, (laughs) it blew my mind. So now, of course, I, you know, I get their two by three morale patches, basically they're standard military style ones. And then, you know, I've got, I've got stuff with hook and loop on my I got a grab and go bag. I got my laptop case. I got my over the shoulder tactical carry bag, my hat, my wallet. And so everybody else, you know, my boonie hat. So I've got two or three of these and this isn't sewn on. It just, you know, it sticks on and yeah, people love it. And I sell them at prepper camp. I bring the extras with me and yeah, it's fun. I enjoy it. Yeah. I've got the, I've got the uh, blood type on my uh, deer harness. Oh yes. You know, in case I fall out of the tree. (laughs) Hey, that's not a bad thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got stuck up in the tree one time where uh, my um, climbing stand fell off and I was uh, stuck up in the tree, hit my head on the tree and had a little concussion and stuff. Oh. So it was, uh, but I didn't ruin my friend's hunt. He was in the field next to me and uh, he said, oh, I heard all this crashing. I didn't know what happened. And, and, uh, and he, and then he came back and he said, 
he saw my harness up in the tree because I had to let my heart, I couldn't get out of the harness and I had to like let go of the harness, let myself down, hold onto the harness and then drop. And uh, he said, why didn't you say something? And I said, cause I didn't want to ruin your hunt. <laughs> what a good man. James, <laughs> the things we do, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks Tim. I appreciate it. Anytime, man. I'd love to be back. Thanks for being a, thanks for being a great host. This was awesome. Oh, thank you. Hey, if you like this episode, leave us a tip on Venmo or cash app at thriving the future or join the Patreon, patreon.com slash thriving the future. You get early episodes and you get extras. Thank you. Check out Thriving News. That's where Perpin and I share longer form articles about homesteading, mindset, milpa gardening, food forest, etc. Go check it out at thrivingnews.com. Thank you for listening to Thrive in the Future podcast. If you like what you hear, please click that like or subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at Thrive in the Future. And also go to thriveinthefuture.com.